continuing our study through the book of James. And we're in James chapter 4. Who could define for me the word oxymoron? Anybody? Anybody just on it today? What do you think an oxymoron is? Something that contradicts itself. It's, it's, a, it's two words used within a sentence or, or just a, a word that has two words combined that, that are opposite. Okay, um, I wrote down a few examples of oxymorons. Um, someone says, um, I've got a minor crisis in my life. <laughs> How do you have a minor crisis? It's either a crisis or it's not. Okay, um, Someone will say, when they eat something, they'll say, man, that's awfully good. <laughs> or if, if something's going wrong in your life or something bad happens, we say it's bittersweet. Um, you pull something out of the freezer and it's freezer burnt. And as Sally in the Peanuts says to Charlie Brown, good grief, Charlie Brown. Okay? Oxymorons. Well, um, I've got a couple more for you. Fighting Christians. Church fights. Oxymorons. Because when you read the Bible, Christians are to what? Love. Love one another. Jesus said, hey, I've got a new commandment for you guys. Love one another. But what happens in so many churches? We fight. Okay? Disharmony and division and discord and angry words, hateful words. I mean, it just happens. And the reality is church fights is an oxymoron. And that's what James is actually addressing here in chapter 4, literally from verse 1 to verse 12. He's, he's talking about these church fights. He's talking about Christians fighting and quarreling and, and, and hurting one another. And he addresses that. And that's what we looked at last week, and we're looking at again this week. And, and we're looking at how do you and I stop the church fight? How do we stop fighting and quarreling amongst each other? So I want to give a quick recap of last week. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you. I think you can still find the video, Facebook, um, listen to the, the, the podcast, get on the website, whatever. But listen to last week's message because I'm just going to give a quick synopsis of last week's message and then dive into what we're looking at today. So... In order to stop the fighting, here's what has to happen. We stop the fighting by, last week we looked at four things. And here's the first one, and they're on your outline. But if you want, need to make any quick notes, please do so. But the first thing we need to do in order we stop the fighting by acknowledging that fights come from selfish desires. Our fighting comes from selfish desires. So if you look at verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. So James is like, he's talking to Christians and he's like, hey, do you want to know where fights and quarrels come from? He's like, let me tell you. They come from your selfishness. They come from the, the pride and, and, and what you want. He's like, you want something, but you don't get it. So you, 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 you treat people badly. You hurt them with your words. He's like, you covet stuff, you desire this, I want this, I want it this way, you don't get it, so you fight and you quarrel. And so we need to acknowledge that. Because a lot of times when it comes to fighting, what, we, what do we want to do? We want to push the blame on other people. 
It's their fault. It's their problem. It's not mine. But James says, yes, it is. Fights and quarrels come from the selfishness within us. Here's the second thing I said last week that what we must do to stop the fighting is this. We, we stop the fighting by aligning myself with God's will for my life. I have to align myself with God's will. And so there at the end of verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And like I said, the NIV says you do not ask God. Verse 3, he says, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So the second thing James is saying is like, listen, when we do want something, we want this or that, and we want this to happen. We want to see that happen. And he goes, here's the thing. Um, You're asking, but you're not even asking God for it. He's like, you want something, and the first thing you do is like, you're just trying to manipulate the situation, doing it out of your own energy, and you don't even ask God for it to begin with. But then he's like, but when you do ask God, you're praying with the wrong motive, with the wrong Well, I just want it for self. So God, bring this to me. And so James is like, in order for us to really stop the fighting, because the reality is when I want something and I try to get it and and manipulate the situation and the selfishness inside and I'm not getting what I want, you see, that's when angry words come out. That's when hurtful words come out. That's when division happens and disharmony within churches take place. And so he's like, as believers, man, you need to pause, hit the pause button for a moment and begin to pray about it and ask and say, God, is this what you want for my life? Is this really what I need? And we try to align our will with God. The third thing is this. We stop the fighting by arranging my life for Christ and not the culture. And this is where he says in verse uh, 4, He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world is the system. It's the beliefs, the values, the idea of the culture. And to be a friend with that, what James is saying, a friendship, having a friendship with the world is, is that as a believer, what I'm doing is I am embracing more of the culture than Christ. I am more involved in the culture than the church. I, 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 I'm buying into the values and the beliefs and the norms and the, 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 the pleasures of, of the culture than embracing what God wants. And he's like, when you start to do that, you are embra- when you start to embrace the culture, you're becoming a friend with that. And the thing is, as I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this, and he even shows this more in our today's text, Um, where we're going today, the more I look like the culture, the more I embrace the culture, the more I act like the culture, the more my selfishness is growing. And the more my selfishness grows, how easy is it to fight? Because why? I'm not getting what I want. And when I don't get what I want, I'm going to make sure people know it. And then lastly, I said last week, We stop the fighting by adjusting my attitude to recognize my continual need for God. I got to adjust my attitude. And in verse 5, he says, Do you suppose it is no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride, humility. Pride, humility. Okay, can I tell you that humility, or I mean that pride and rebellion are the twin towers of destruction in the church? Okay, 
They're the fatal twins in the church. Because when people don't want to humble themselves, when people want to rebel, I'm telling you, that causes problems in the church. But James is like, listen, if you want to stop church fights, live in humility. Humble yourself. Get rid of pride. But yet, how many Christians don't want to do that? Again, why? Because when I'm selfish, who's it about? Me. I want my way. I want my thing. I want that done for me. I want that because I like it. And when I'm not getting my way, when I don't humble myself and I'm living in pride, guess what's happening? Church fights. And so James is showing us what needs to happen by us in order to stop the church fights. So now let's get into today's text and continue looking at how do we stop this fight how do we, I mean, let, let's, just, let's just have a poll. Who likes church fights? Raise your hands. You just love coming to church. I, mean, I love the vision in the church. I love, I, love, I love spouty words. I love hurtful words. I love the disharmony. That's my kind of church. Nobody would say that. It's my prayer and my desire that we would be a church, and we're not going to be a perfect church, right? Everybody say we're not perfect. But man, shouldn't we strive for it? Shouldn't we be a people that we're like, you know what? I hate fighting. And I'm going to do everything I can to look at the selfishness in me. I'm going to look at every, do everything I can to keep myself humble. Now, does that mean that we don't have a voice in the church? Absolutely not. But the idea is, is that, man, we're all stepping back going, hey, what can I do on my part to live in peace, to be unified with everybody? What can I do so I'm not selfish and letting my selfish desires bring disharmony in the church? And so we want to continue to say, man, what can we do to stop the fight? And so here's the next thing in the list, and it's this. In order to stop the fight, I have to adjust my position so I'm in the proper place before God. Like I said last week, my last point for last week was we have to adjust our attitude, but now we have to adjust our position. And that is in my relationship to God. Where am I at in my relationship with God? Because how many of you know you can get out of position with your relationship to God? All right? And this is where James now goes. So he begins this by, looking at, just by showing ourselves that we need to look at our position before God. And the first thing he says there in verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Show of hands, how, much, how many of that? That's fun. I love to submit. Okay? Can I tell you, as humans, submission does not come naturally, okay? I mean, that was the very first thing that, that brought sin into the world. Adam and Eve was told to do, not to do one thing, and what did they do? They didn't submit to what God said, bring sin in the world. Isaiah chapter 53 says, we all are like sheep, we go our own way, okay? We turn to our own desires. This is what God wants me to do? Forget it, I don't want to do it, I'm not going to submit, Okay, as humans, we just don't submit. Now, can I even bring it even more home? Um, even as Americans, this is a harder thing. Okay, because as Americans, man, let's just be honest, we puff our chest up and I'm an American and I'm free and nobody tells me what to do. And can I be honest? I think that's even God. I have a friend who has this shirt, uh, patriotism shirt, and, and on the front it says, patriotism, God, country. Where's God? Under patriotism. 
Because patriotism means I get to do what I want. I get to say what I want. I get to, it's about freedom, okay? And, and, and the idea of submitting, man, forget that. But Paul, or I mean James says, submit to God, okay? Submit to God. But the question's got to be asked is, how do you and I submit to God? Is it just because I'm a Christian, does that mean I'm submitting to God? Well, I'm a Christian. I submit. How many of you know just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you submit to God? Okay? Submitting to God isn't some kind of just thing that's floating around in the air and going, okay, okay, I'm submitting. No, 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 no. Here's how you and I submit to God. God says something. We do it. That's submitting. And guess ultimately what we submit to? His word. Okay, so God's word becomes the foundation for our submission, right? So if God says something, he says, do this, don't do that. Submission is what? Okay, if God says to do this, I do it. If God says not to do it, I don't do it. That is submitting. And James is hitting this this thing here that you and I, I need to submit. The word submit, it really, it means this. It means I place myself under, to rank under, to subject myself to, all right? I, I like the, the set, to rank under. That means um, God's, like, he's the chief. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the private. God's the president. I'm nobody. God's in charge, I'm not. It's to rank under. It's to say, okay, God, um, you're it, I'm not. And so when, when you and I come to that place where we submit to God, we are ultimately submitting to his word. We submit to what he says. You see, even 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us to, to um, humble ourselves and come under the mighty hand of God. Come under it. Meaning, God's above, we're below. He's in charge, we're not. And so when we submit to God, we are submitting to his word. We are doing. And that's what James says in, in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, don't be just mere listeners of the word, but be what? Doers. You see, submitting to, to God's word just isn't believing the Bible. Because you can believe the Bible all day long, right? But does that mean you are a doer of it? Absolutely not, okay? I can believe all day long, hey, I am not to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. But if I go to work and I cuss people out, my belief means nothing because I'm not doing it. How many of you remember this song, and maybe you've even are teaching it to your kids now? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. I stand on the word of God. I started thinking about that. Maybe some of us don't need to stand on the God, on the word of God, but stand under the word of God. We need to come to that place where we submit to what God's word says. Now, let's go back to what James says in chapter 3, verse 2, when he says, hey, um, understand that you're all going to stumble in many ways. Are we going to be perfect in our submission to the word of God? No, absolutely not. There are going to be times where you know what the Bible says and we just don't do it, right? 
But here's the thing. There is a difference between a person who says, I know what the Bible says, I didn't do it, but I get back to God. I confess that to God. God, forgive me. I blew it again. I said something. I did something. I did, you told me. I, I see what your word said. I didn't do it. God, forgive me. Okay? That's one person. But there's a difference between that and the person who says, I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. I'm going to still do my own thing. And, we, and that, that person, just out of will, does not submit to the word of God. And that becomes a lifestyle. It's a Christian that says, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm living for self. I'm doing what I want to do. And what that person is saying is, God, um, you're not in charge. I am. That's a person who isn't living in humility because when I live in humility, I admit that the word of God is the truth and is right and God's in charge and I submit myself under that. But when I'm not living in humility but pride, what I'm saying is, God, I'm God because I'm not going to submit to what you say. And that is the problem. When, when I, as a Christian, I know that the Bible tells me to serve, but I go, no, I don't want to serve. I'm not going to serve. Then you're not submitting to the word of God. When I know that I shouldn't allow that, as I, as I just referenced in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is beneficial and will build others up. But yet, if I get on Facebook and I spew all kinds of nasty stuff, I'm not submitting to the word of God. And it can go on and it goes on. And so, as a believer in Christ, the first way I position myself before God is I submit to his word. But notice what he says right after that. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we submit to the word of God, and now he says, resist the devil. Again, is how do we do that? Now, there are some people who will say, well, here's how you resist the devil. you got to stand up, and you got to vocally, boldly say, devil, I rebuke you. It's not how you and I resist the devil. Here's how you and I resist the devil. And it's going to be a shocker. We submit to the word of God. Because that's what Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, when he was after 40 days, it says that he was tired and he was hungry and the devil came to him and tempted him. And every time, that the, the three times when he be, brought a temptation, Jesus responds this way. It is written. Meaning, um, I'm not going to submit to what you just said. I am submitting to what God has said. And it is written, and it is written, and it is written. And it says in Luke chapter 4 that after the third temptation, and when Jesus says it is written, it says that the, that the devil left him until another opportune time. You see, that's how you and I resist the devil, okay? And here's the thing. Think about it. Now, when it comes to church fights... The Bible tells us as believers that we are to live in peace with one another. We are to live in unity with one another. We are to encourage one another, build one another up, love one another. Well, guess what Satan wants? The exact opposite. He doesn't want us loving each other. He doesn't want harmony in the church. He wants division in the church. He wants fights in the church. And he's going to do everything he can to cause that to happen. He does not want you and I submitting to the word of God. 
Okay. Remember, Paul or James talks about the idea of becoming a friend with the world. That's what the enemy wants. He is in control of the system of the world, and he wants you embracing that. Because the more you and I love the world, guess who we're loving less of? God. And we're loving more of him, the devil, and his system. We're embracing that. And so we got to not be a friend of the world, and we got to submit to the word. And as you and I submit to the word, the more we do that, it's like we're resisting the devil. Now, let me illustrate this thing. Rylene, can I disturb your Barbie thing for a moment? Come on, girlfriend. Come on up here. I'm going to ask Taylor to come up here, Dusty to come up here. Okay. Dusty, I need you to stand behind this. Dusty is going to play God only for about two minutes. If he starts playing God any longer than that, we all need to have a conversation. Taylor is going to play the devil. Taylor, come up here a little bit. Rylene, come here. Rylene is playing the Christian, the child of God. Okay? Pretty good idea on that one, wasn't it? I'm thinking outside the box. So here's what's, so every day of, your, of our lives, okay, Taylor, you start doing your thing. The enemy is going to try to pulverize us with lies and deception, temptations, all kinds of things to get us toward him. As long as I am standing between God and his word, guess what? I'm resisting the devil. But the moment I as a believer go, no, I don't want to. I'm going to do my own thing. And as I as a, as I, as a believer... As I, as a believer, say, I'm, nope, as soon as I said this to Taylor, he got a big grin on his face. All of a sudden, I'm saying, God, I don't need you nor your word. Now the enemy can barrage me. And now all of a sudden, the lies and the deception, the temptation, I start leaning on those. And what happens is I start drifting away from God and drawing near to be a friend of the enemy. Okay. This is why as long as I don't submit to God and his word, I make myself open to the attack of the enemy. And the more I will draw toward him. So I have to, in order to get my position right before God, I have to submit to his word, resist the enemy. And then thirdly, what does it say in the text? Draw near to God. So in order, if I'm out here, I got to recognize that and go, okay, I'm, I'm getting too much into the culture. I'm, I'm buying into the culture too much. I'm becoming, I'm a cultural Christian. I'm looking like, acting like, sounding like the culture, and I'm too far from God. So I need to draw near to God again. And I've got to get behind him. Okay? Thanks, guys. Thank you, Rylene. Way to go, hon. I have got to draw near again to God. All right? So when James says, Submit, resist, draw. Notice all three of those words are verbs. They're things we have to do. They're not just magically out there, okay? So if your relationship with God seems stagnant and cold and, and you're just like spiritually weak, spiritually blah, I'm telling you, it is not God who is moved. It is us. And so we, it says, you draw near to God and then God will draw near to you. God hasn't left you, but the presence and, and the, the zeal of God. Something's not right in me. So when I recognize, whoa, I, 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 
I'm living too much like the, the culture. I'm not submitting to the word of God. I'm just like my relationship with Christ is just here nor there. And I'm just up and down. And you start to get back to the Lord. And you're drawing near to him. All of a sudden, you're going to have a spiritual like vibrance, a little more energy. But the question's got to be asked, how do you and I draw near to the Lord? Again, it's not some kind of just thing that's out there. There's not a magical pill. The way you and I draw near to the Lord is we have to practice spiritual disciplines, okay? Ultimately, it comes back to his word because his word outlines all these things. So guess what you and I have got to practice? Um, prayer. We got to spend time in his word, reading it and studying it. We, we got we to be engaged in ministry. You got to be engaged in the community of other believers um, in a small group or a, a Bible study. So that way you are learning and, and, and growing in the word together and, and having other people pray for you. you you've got to be engaged in, in corporate weekly worship. Not worship every four weeks. Weekly. And we do these things, Okay. And as I do these things, guess what's happening? I am drawing near to the Lord. And the spiritual energy, the spiritual zeal begins to grow. I feel watered and refreshed. But the longer I stay away from the Lord and not submitting to his word, I will feel dry and dull and spent spiritually. We got to draw near to the Lord. Now, here's the deception, I believe, of the enemy. And it's this. The enemy has too many Christians believing that the apex of their faith is simply this. I go to church once a week. But anymore, it's not even once a week. Now, I love the fact that there are people watching us online right now. And I'm, I'm saying this not to you. I'm not saying this to, to, to dog you in any way. But unfortunately, the church has made it very easy and convenient for us to stay home. If I wake up on Sunday, man, I'm just tired. Man, I've, I've really got some stuff to do in the yard today. I just, I've just had a busy week. You know what? Let's just watch it on Facebook. It's easier that way. Listen, coming to church at worship, there is something special. But I hope you guys felt like, man, this was good today. I felt refreshed. I felt watered. Okay? But here's the thing. If, if all... If my, all my spiritual energy is the fact that I just showed up today and I have nothing else through the week, I'm not saturating myself with the word of God or prayer or a small group or anything like that. If this is your only thing, you didn't come near to God, you've just paid a visit. Okay? We're, we're just visiting on Sunday. But the rest of the week is all about me. No, you and I... We've got to draw near. We have to move our position close to God. We resist the enemy by submitting to the word and drawing near to God. And if I'm not doing those two things, the thing in the middle is going to win every single time. And the enemy will draw us away. So we have to get our position right. Here's the second thing. Affirm the seriousness of having divided loyalties.
affirm the seriousness of having divided loyalties. Look at verses 8 through 10. So he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be, torn, be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Those are some rough words right there. Okay? Now, here's the thing. As I, as I studied this and looked at this, I see James a lot like Paul in this. That's why I kept saying Paul. Because Paul, when he wrote the book of Corinthians, he was writing to a church that was living in sin. The people were just acting ungodly. They were acting culturally. And he, Paul's like, man, how can I even call you believers? You're acting like children. And he, he was just, and he was going through different things that the people in Corinth were, were doing. And Paul was just laying it out. From chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, all the way to here, James has been laying out the sin of these people. He, he's been like, man, you're not being doers of the word. You say you're Christians, but there's nothing coming out of you. You, 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 you got these words that are coming out of your mouth that are, are, are horrible, and you're hurting people. He's like, you show partiality to people, and, and he's like, he's like you, you, you've become like a friend to the world, and he has just been laying out the sin, and now he just cuts to the chase, and he says, cleanse your hands. You, you, you good, okay, Christians. No. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You see, that's a lot. I think that's a big contrast compared to what we say about people. If there are people who we know as believers, but you know what? They really don't go to church. They don't serve anywhere. They just, you know, they look worldly and God, worldly and culturally. But yet they're, they're a believer. We're, well, well, here's what we will say. Well, yeah, they're not really living for the Lord, but they're still a good Christian. Oxymoron. Paul, or I mean, James is saying, listen, if we live like a sinner, guess what he calls them? sinners and we've got it and he's wanting them to get serious about this and then he says then he says oh by the way purify your hearts you're double-minded when he calls them double-minded what he's saying is you have divided loyalties divided affections he's like man you say you claim to know god but you are living like the world you you say you love christ but you look like the culture and he's like, you're double-minded, you're double-hearted, you're, you're double, you're, 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 your affections are, are divided, your, your loyalties divided. And he's like, clean your hands, purify your heart. Cleaning the hands is an Old Testament reference of what the priests would do when they would go before they go into the temple. They had to outwardly wash themselves. And so he's in a sense saying, wash the bad behavior off. Deal with it, get rid of it, and then purify the heart. Why does he say purify the heart? Because come, what comes from the heart comes through the hands. What's in the heart comes out in the behavior. So he's basically saying if your hands are bad, the heart is bad. If your hands are dirty, the heart is dirty. And so he's talking about getting the heart right. And so look at the seriousness now when he says in verse 9. He says, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Okay, basically, what, if I were to guess what he's really saying there is this. 
is he's been talking about this stuff to these people, and they're just like, eh, not a big deal. James, I get it. I'm saying stuff that's hurting people, but what's the big deal? James, I get it. I, I, I know I say I'm a Christian, but I have nothing to prove it, but what's the big deal? Come on. I mean, these people were just living their life like nothing was wrong. These people must have been just like, you know, they're going to, how many of you know James is not anti-fun here, okay? He's not anti-enjoying life. He's not, and he's, not, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that when we can become a friend of the world, a friend of the culture, and we can live this way, and it doesn't affect us, and we're just going through life, and we're laughing and having a good time. We show up to church on Sunday. We do our church thing, and we just go through life. Woohoo, yeah, and it. And there's nothing wrong, and we don't see it. He's like, man, you're broken. And he's like, I want you to take that laughter and turn it to sorrow. He's like, turn that joy and be broken. Because he wants us as believers to recognize our sin. To recognize, hey, am I causing fights in the church? Am I using my words to hurt people? Because listen... And I, I wrote this down, and I just got to read it. I, I, I wrote this down. When there are fights and quarrels among Christians, it means that we're not close to God. Because you cannot be close to God and at the same time allow ugly, angry, hurtful, fighting words come out of our mouths. Because isn't that what James says in chapter 3, verse 9? Because if you look at that with me, he says in verse 9, he's talking about the tongue, and it's, it's, a, it's just a, like a, a reckless evil. And he says, in verse 9, he says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He's like, he's like it, it, oxymoron. He's like, there's no way you and I can say, I'm a believer in Christ, but at the same time, be spewing nasty stuff out of my mouth, causing people to be wounded and hurt by my words. And yet, how many people are being wounded today by people who say, I'm a Christian, and they are killing Christians on Facebook because of the things they are saying and hurtful and wounding and James is saying to us, man, we need to take this stuff seriously. We need to realize and wake up and affirm the seriousness. If my loyalties are divided, man, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but I act like the world on Monday. I'm praising God on Sunday, but I'm cursing people out on Tuesday. Something's wrong. And he wants us to recognize this and take it seriously. You know, and then in verse 10 there, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's that word, humble. How many of you know God takes humility and pride seriously? Pride is so damaging. Pride is just self-centeredness and selfishness just to its max. And he's like, in order for all of this to happen, you and I have got to come to that place where we adjust our position, but we continue to adjust our attitude to go, God, forgive me. We recognize the sin. We recognize, man, my mouth is a bunch of nastiness of the way I've treated people, the way I, man, God, I get it. I see it. And we humble ourselves and we come back to the Lord and we repent. Confess it. 
Get real with it. Deal with it. And then lastly, how we stop the fight. We need to abstain from passing judgment about other people. We need to abstain from passing judgment about other people. Verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So now he's just coming right out and saying it. He's just like, you all are speaking wrong toward one another. You're speaking evil. You're judging each other. And basically, it's kind of like, how many of you know, man, we love to do that in church. We just judge people. We look at people. They dress funny. There's something wrong with them. I mean, they're dressed in black and got tattoos and earrings everywhere. Oh, my gosh. They can't come in here. I mean, we, we, we talk bad about people because, well, they didn't vote for my color of carpet. We, we don't like the style of music. Oh, man, that, that jungle music with them drums and stuff, man. Well, that's just, we need to get back to the hymns. I mean, we just tear people apart in churches, and we judge people. That word judge, it's a very interesting word. The word judge means to dispense justice. It means to find a person to be guilty and liable to punishment. You see, this is why um, James writes, he, he, he goes on, he says, you're judging the law. But he says, he goes, but if you judge the law, are you not a doer of the law, but a judge? There is only one lawgiver and one judge, and he is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What he's saying is when you and I begin to judge people and we begin to to speak evil against people and say things against people, we are making ourselves out to be God, okay? Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he says, do not judge or you'll be judged. He goes, how can you look at the speck in someone else's eye when you got this plank coming out of yours? He's like, first deal with the plank in your eye, meaning you deal with your own sin before you start judging anybody else. Okay, but then he says, once you deal with your own sin, your own plank, then you can help with the speck in another person's eye. Can I tell you, the, the helping the person get the speck out of their eye is not judging that sin. It's helping a person. How many of you know people who don't know Christ need to have help to come to know Christ? Can I tell you something? A gay person doesn't need to be judged. They need to be loved. People who don't look like us and act like us and who are sinners don't need Christians judging them. They need Christians to go, you know what? I love you, but I want to help you come to know Christ. And then when we're Christians, instead of judging each other and crucifying each other, how about if we just, if we see someone in sin, let's not judge it, but how about if we help them overcome it? Let's deal with our own sin. Amen? And then hey, can I help you? I see you're, I see you're doing this. Man, I, I, I don't pretend to know where you're at, but can I help you? You see, that's where Jesus is all about. He's like, man, don't be judging people because you're not a judge. You're not God. You can't, you can't find somebody guilty and, and establish punishment on them. Guess who can? God. That's it. Our job is not to judge Our job is to love people. I'm telling you, loved ones, if we would just love one another, guess what would stop in churches? Fights. 
church fights would come to an end. But as long as we want to be selfish and prideful and my way, it's my thing, and we're judging people, hurting people, saying things, church fights will continue. I already said it, but I want to close with it again. It is my prayer, and I pray it will be your prayer. That this church, guess what? I can't be responsible for what happens at the Presbyterian Church here in Woodhall. I can't be responsible for what happens in the Methodist Church in Alpha. I can't be responsible for what happens in churches in Galesburg or the Quad Cities. That's not our responsibility. Um, Guess what church we are all responsible for? This one. So as long as God has called us here, as long as we say, hey, this is my home, this is my church home, then it is our responsibility as a body of believers to take care of it. And that means we're not ripping people apart. We're not tearing each other down. We're not letting unwholesome talk come out of our mouth about it. No, we're going to use our words to build one another up, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to love one another, to support one another, to challenge one another. That's what we want to be about. And if we can do that, no matter who walks through that door, no matter what they look like, what they dress like, how they act, how they behave, man, we are going to love. We're going to talk right. We're going to sound like Christ, but we're going to help people become more like Christ. And if we can do that, I'm telling you, we will be a church probably in history that does not fight. And I pray we can get there. Amen? Let's all stand and let's get ready to close. Taylor, you need to clean up your mess, man. (laughs) Let's all go before the Lord. And and I've, I've been doing this the past few weeks. And just close your eyes. Again, I know the book of James is hard. But as I pray, I pray that as the word went forth today, your mind your mind was changed. Your heart was convicted and now I pray your will will be challenged. That what you heard right now has challenged you. And that you'll walk out of this place with that seriousness that James talked about to look at what's going on in your life and go, God, I want to deal with this. I want to get serious about, can I tell you, God's been dealing with me all week on this. Even in my office this morning, I was sitting there praying, God, oh God, I, 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 I want to be a doer of your word. God, I want to submit to you. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for when I choose to not submit. God, forgive me of words that I speak that are hurtful. God, forgive me. I've had to get serious about where I'm at. And I pray you'll do the same because it's not until you and I get serious that our lives begin to change. And trust me, when you and I, when our lives begin to change, when my relationship with God begins to change, my relationships with other people will begin to change. And so maybe right now you just need to be serious where you're at with your position with God, your attitude with God, the sin in your life. And so as I close, I just pray that you would just examine your heart. So Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, it's hard at times. It is a double-edged sword. It's living and active and it cuts deep. Jeremiah says that your word acts like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. 
But Lord, I also pray that this word has been a seed and it's been sown. And I pray it's been sown on good soil. I pray that the enemy will not steal the seed away. I pray that the seed will not just take root real shallow and then spur a little bit and then, and then die away. I pray this seed, Lord, is sown deep and that, Lord, we would see a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold in the lives of everyone hearing today. God, we want to be a church that we're not fighting. A church that, Lord, we are not letting any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. We're not a church that where we're praising you on Sunday than speaking badly of people on Monday. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that we are encouraging one another, building one another up, supporting one another, strengthening one another. Lord, loving on people no matter who they are, what they're like, what they do. God, we love on people. We're not going to judge them, but we're just going to help them come to see Christ, to know Christ, to live for Christ. So, Father, change us. Make us more like you. Make us and help us to be submissive to you and your word. Help us to walk in the manner that worthy of the calling that we've received for your glory. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.